The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Hi, good afternoon, and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, your host, with my co-host, Certified Financial Planner, Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning techniques to help you preserve and grow your wealth most effectively and enjoy the fruits of your success, as our old partner Jack Monteith liked to say. That's right. If you'd like to dial in on the show, uh, you can uh, call us at one 866 472 This is a live program. And uh, so we'd love to hear, have you chime in as, uh, as you feel so com- compelled or inclined to do so. And Ethan, if uh, they want to shoot us an email, what do they do then? Yeah, uh, our, our email address on the show here goes right to our producer. Is that right, Simon? Yeah. Uh, it's at, it's at contact at empiradio.com. And uh, as Ken said, we'd love to hear from you. So um, if you have some questions or comments you want to raise on the air here, give us a call or shoot us an email. We'd love to hear from you. If you're an advisor or an individual out there that would love to uh, uh, or would be interested in talking with Ethan or I offline uh, to talk about your personal financial situation, and the, if you're an advisor and you're looking for a career with a company like Empirical and what we do for clients, uh, give us a call. You can reach us at the firm at 1-800-923-4307, and uh, we are looking to grow all around the country, so wherever you are. We'd love to hear from you. And if you are an individual anywhere in the country, we'd love to talk to you about uh, your investment strategy and your financial plan. And uh, the, the combination of the two in a comprehensive plan working together is what we would refer to as true wealth management. And that's what we try to provide. You can reach us at that number as well. Or, or if you want to shoot an email to me directly, it's ksmith at empiricalfs.com, E-M-P-I. R-I-C-A-L-F-S dot com. And Ethan, I don't know what your email is. at E-Broga? That's correct. B-R-O-G-A. E-B-R-O-G-A at EmpiricalFS dot com. All right. All right. All right, Ethan. Well, I thought we could uh, start as usual with our brief overview of, of the market and a very, very, very micro view of what's going on. And uh, then talk a little bit about inflation-protected bonds. I was reading on uh, our our favorite author, Larry Swedro's blog about his. He does these regularly updates. I thought maybe it would be worth reading through it and talking and explaining to our listeners how these tips work. And then on the show, I'd like to talk about the exciting work that you've been doing in writing uh, and developing a program 
for people near retirement on how they can take advantage of the many planning opportunities that they have in that window. Right. Uh, right before retirement, you're referring it to it as a retirement advantage program. That's right. Uh, and literally could be very large sums of money that, that, that if the decisions are made one way or another, um, the consequence may be an added several hundred thousand dollars to over the course of the lifetime through retirement or loss thereof that. And I'd love to just walk through the, some of those steps in, in broad and have you talk about how if we can help on an individualized basis and how their, your financial advisor or your plan should be taking these steps um, through this very critical period of time heading into retirement and then through and beyond. Right. Yeah, I'd love to. That well, sounds great. Okay. So now we know what, what the agenda is. Let's go ahead and get to her. <laughs> Even better. Uh, market was uh, up a little bit today. It was kind of a wild ride there. Right. Um, Dow Jones closed at, uh, at least on the Dow was up today. The S&P was, was down a little bit. But the Dow was at 13,145. We're just uh, bouncing all around that 13,000 level. Yep. Where uh, uh, last week at this time it was 13,046. So we're up a lot, close to 100 points from last week at this uh, close. Mm-hmm. One year ago today, the Dow was at 12,279. So we're up quite a bit from a year ago. Yeah. Um, it's actually about uh, 7% the last year on the Dow. The S&P 500 uh, closed at 1403, down uh, just a couple of points today. And uh, up, though, however, from last week and uh, a year ago today, the S&P 500 was sitting at 1,319. So it's up about 6.35% over the last year. And uh, the NASDAQ actually is up about 12% over the last year. So it's had some nice, hmm. nice, uh, nice run. Um, and the Nikkei index, which is uh, up about 6.93 over the last year, um, closed a little bit down today. The uh, five-year Treasury, the yield to maturity in the five-year Treasury, Ethan, is 1.01. Uh, that's down from last week. It was 1.12. And uh, the 10-year Treasury, 2.15, and that's down from 2.28 last week. We ran these. Five-year municipal bonds, uh, 1.02, and uh, last week it was 1.09. So that gives a tax-equivalent yield if you're in the 28% federal tax bracket of 1.42%. Ten-year munis, uh, 2.14, and that's down again from last week. And so the tax-equivalent yield on that's about 2.97%. And, uh, you know, we look at those numbers because if you're comparing risk-free assets like treasuries to municipals, it's important to look at the yield and look at it through the lens of your particular tax bracket. So you want to figure out what your marginal tax bracket is and what, uh, you know, there may be state income tax implications with the munis depending on what, where you're investing and how all that works. Uh, five-year corporates, Ethan, 2.2. Two AAA corporates, 2.21, um, according to the Bloomberg. This this data is coming right out of Bloomberg. That's up a little actually from 2.15. So hmm. treasuries were down, but if this data is accurate, this the corporates have actually gone up a little. So that would typically be perceived as some increased view of risk there, right? We got a higher risk premium 
um, or the spread. And uh, if we look at 10-year AAAs, uh, 4.12 um, from 4.1. So if we look at the spread on those cor- on those corporates, um, the uh, five-year Treasury to the corporate, it's about a 1.2% uh, credit spread there. And last week it was 1.03. Hmm. And uh, 1.97 on the uh, 10-year Treasury. So what I'm talking about, for those of you who are just t- tuning into our program, uh, with these spreads are just the differences between the rate of uh, interest on a Treasury, yield of maturity, versus a comparable term corporate bond that carries credit risk. And we're looking at the top tier of the investment grade, so be AAA. Clearly, if we get into uh, lower-grade corporates, you'd see, you would expect to see typically even a higher spread between the two. And it's worth monitoring those relationships to see if it's worth being weighted towards uh, risk. Um, Are you being adequately compensated for that? Because the market tends to be kind of fickle and irrational over short periods of time. Sometimes it can get out of line. Mm -hmm. Historically, some of the research I've seen from the academic guides have shown that when the spreads are pretty wide, um, that's been a, a better time to overweight towards those corporates than when they've been very narrow or even you know, right. tight spreads, as they would call it. Yep. Prime rate un, 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 unchanged, Ethan, at 3.25. Uh, I'm just going to kind of skip through here to, wow, one-year CDs are still seven-tenths of a percent. Not a lot of dough to be made on a national average basis on, uh, with, with CDs or treasuries, for that matter, but... Um, Five, the, the positive of that are on the mortgages, five, five uh, one-year uh, adjustable rate mortgage arm, 2.86. That's actually down a little bit from last week. Wow. guy like you might want to lock down a few of those. <laughs> Warren Buffett said, hey, you should be loading up on single-family homes. That's crazy. <laughs> Indeed he did. Uh, that's not the empirical advice. I'm just being a little humorous here. <laughs> uh, so please don't, don't necessarily do that. I would talk to your... Your tax professional and your financial advisor first, for sure. engaging in any of those transactions. But uh, it's, in all seriousness, probably not the worst time someone who's looking to purchase a home right. um, with with the price compression we've had in housing, particularly in certain parts of the country. Right. And coupling that with the rate of interest, the 30-year mortgage, Ethan, 3.97%. Amazingly good. So if we had... Inflation somewhere around long, long-term historical averages over the next 30 years, say it was 3%. And we've had 20-plus period, year periods where it's been in excess of 4%. So that is feasible. If it was 4 you'd actually the, – the cost of that money would be uh, very, very cheap Indeed. when you think about it. So keep that in mind, would you? I will. Okay. Thank you. The dollar versus relative currencies uh, – it's pretty, pretty, pretty unchanged over the last week. So I'm going to get into all of that. Yeah, pretty stable there. Gold, uh, 1656, um, hmm. up just uh, about 19 points from uh, last week. It was 1637. Crude oil, 122.57 versus last week at 123. And we were just talking about how gas, and at least in our area here in Seattle, is pretty expensive. Indeed. Uh, luckily, you are are rolling. Hard in a luxurious all-leather interior premium sound system Camry that is hybrid. That's correct. It's a 2007. Yeah, she's a 2007. No, it's a great car, and 
you're reaping all the bennies every time the gas prices go up. But that's here nor there, Ethan. Um, gas went up a little bit, uh, 3.92 versus 388. And uh, so uh, crude oil went down, gas actually went up. And maybe on the next program we can talk a little bit about that, why there might be a disconnection. And I know you were asking, or a client asked about the uh, – we. We recommend if you're going to hold a general basket of commodities, you do it in some sort of diversified basket. Right. Um, and there are various indices out there. But if they are production-weighted, they tend to be pretty heavy in, in energy. And I know it was interesting because you're saying, hey, there's a disparity between gas prices and the general commodities basket. And so I'd like to, I'd like to uh, talk about that maybe next week if that's okay with you. I'm um, okay. Okay, well, that sounds good. Um, let's talk about those tips just for a second, just a tip, okay? Okay. Um, and then I'd like to talk about uh, Larry's updates that he does on tips. So, so we've been tracking him. So this week, the uh, inflation-protected treasury, and I'm surprised, Ethan, by the way, and I'll pause here, that a lot of people I come across still aren't familiar with what these are or that they exist. Right. Or that, um but they've been out for quite some time, since, what, 1997? That's my understanding. These are treasury um, instruments, debt instruments issued by the U.S. Treasury that have an inflation adjustment with them. So they add in a, a layer of, of protection from uh, inflation. Mm-hmm. And so they still carry an element of interest rate risk. So they're not completely risk-free in terms of a debt instrument because if you bought a, a 10 or a longer period of time, um, treasury inflation-protected security, and interest rates shot up, but inflation didn't didn't move up at parity, which it doesn't doesn't happen that way every single year, every time period, Uh, you'd still have the risk of that, the value of that bond declining as a result of those those rising interest rates. Yes, that's right. So we've got that. So this week they closed at two point, the five-year... uh, I'm sorry, that's the spread. The five-year inflation-protected treasury was negative. The yield was negative 1.28 versus last week it was negative 1.19. So it's actually uh, gone down. Um, so we have a, a break-even point on inflation now at 2.29, where last week it was it was 2.31 for the five-year period. And what we're talking about there is if we have inflation – over the next five years, that exceeds a level of 2.29%. The person who buys the five-year maturity inflation-protected treasury would be at an even point. And if it goes higher than that, they would be better off owning that inflation-protected security than they would the nominal or the, the regular treasury, which yeah. is yielding five, 1.01. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It does. And it just reminded me that last over the last, well, I think it was for 2011, um, if I recall, inflation was running about 3.75% for the calendar year anyway. Right. Yeah, I should put that. I'll put that on here so we have the inflation rates. Um, we'll add that to the list. That's a great idea, Ethan. Always taking it up a notch, and that's, that's what I love about you. It's your passion desire. <laughs> Indeed. To improve. Um the ten-year inflation protected is the yield is negative point one eight, and uh, 
that's uh, down a little bit from negative 0.11. So the break-even there relative to the regular treasury, what do we have to have as an inflation rate over the next 10 years to be equal between the two investments? It's 2.33. Um, so if you think you're gonna ha- we're going to have 2.33% or higher inflation, the tip is still not a bad deal. Right. If you think that's not going to happen, well, yeah. Yeah, if you're choosing between the, 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 the nominal treasury, and these are five years, or the five-year treasury inflation-protected security, whatever your estimate of future inflation over the next five years would obviously dictate that decision. Excellent point. Excellent point. Well, you know, Larry Swetra has a great blog, and we've had him on the program, and uh, he talks about, on a monthly basis, he updates tables to help make decisions surrounding treasury inflation-protected securities. And so uh, the data he has in here, I think I found last, was March 15th, so it's a couple weeks. But I thought it would help just put this in context. Um, and so at this point in time, the uh, the um, he, he kind of looks at historical returns, of these, so he says historically five-year average returns on nominal treasuries have been 5.39. But if you expanded that to 10 years, it's 5.5, and 20 years, it's 5.73. And then if you looked at the real after inflation rate of returns uh, on five years, it's been 2.33 percent. On 10 years, it's 2.44, and on 20 years, it's 2.66 percent. Okay. What is that? Uh, Scratching noise. Somebody is is, is uh, Simon on the turntable. Someone's going to bust a move here. I think. Yeah, I'm about to break break into a into a serious break dance move. Um, I'm not sure, but I'm not sure where it's coming from. So, anywho, um, what he looks at is the mean tips yield. So the mean being uh, some general average, and uh, if you look at from 1997 to the present day. Um, what you see is that the average mean tip yield was 1.9. Well, currently, we were just saying on a five-year, uh, at the time he published this, it was negative 1.18. And I was saying today it's negative 1.28, right? So the 10-year, he has a negative, uh, the, the historical yield was 2.42 um, for buying, you know, 10-year maturities. Uh, 11, uh, negative 11 basis points, or 0.11 is the current rate. So... He's saying, since last month's updates, 10 and 20 years yields, uh, tip yields have risen, while the short end remains fairly unchanged. 10-year tips uh, yield is now negative 0.11. 20 is up to 0.56 on the positive. And, and again, I give you the current rates. We've got to take a quick break, Ethan. When we come back, let's go finish this tip discussion and then get into your retirement advantage program. Okay. And uh, maybe a few other questions about how to get ahead in, in today's market. I like your style. We'll be right back. Sounds good. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management. Inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. 
Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at empiricalfs.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your co-host, uh, Ethan Broga, alongside uh, Ken Smith here, just talking about uh, Treasury inflation-protected securities. Uh, Ken, we were just discussing – thank you uh, – discussing a uh, um, Larry Swedrow's blog on the topic here recently, just discussing the difference uh, in, in real and nominal yields currently and see what uh, investors might want to do with regards to their tip portfolios. Yeah, so I, I just thought it would be – we don't talk about it a lot on, on the program, but I thought it would be worth – Reading Larry's blog here and, and sharing a little bit about how he, he the the model in which he views these relative value um, are tips expensive are they inexpensive I know we've had some questions we've held tips in our in our fixed one of in our fixed income models for quite some time now right and uh, what would be the paradigm in which we would look at weighting towards tips or away from tips uh, aside from general investor preferences and specific client situations where it's more or less appropriate in general um, as to what we're trying to accomplish there. But um, just from a relative basis of nominal treasuries uh, compared to inflation protected. So he has a table. He provides a table. You can go right onto his uh, blog there. Um, uh, It's a CBS. uh, Where is his blog at? Ethan, do you have it? It's a... CBSnews.com. Yeah. And you search for Larry Sweater on your So he provides a tale, kind of gives you historical returns over varying maturities of uh, nominal treasury uh, bonds first, and then shows current and uh, average uh, tips yields in the second table. And we kind of went through that a little bit. 
And so at the time of this, I'll just read it real quickly. But since last month's update, 10 and 20-year tip yields have risen. While the short end remains fairly unchanged, the 10-year tip is now negative 0.11 and the 20 years up to 0.56%. In both cases, it's an increase of 15.15%. Nominal treasury yields have had an even greater increase. The 10-year has risen to 227 and the 20-year yield had has risen to 3.03. This increased uh, the 10- and 20-year break-even rates to 2.38 and uh, 2.47% respectively. So we were just going over the data for today, and those break-even uh, inflation rates are a little bit lower today than they were a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. The first quarter inflation estimate from the Philadelphia Federal Reserve released last month is 2.3% over the next 10 years, down from last quarter's estimate of 2.5%. The risk premium for unexpected inflation, which is the difference between the headline CPI, Consumer Price Index, estimate from the Philadelphia Fed forecasters, and the break-even rate between nominal treasuries and tips on 10-year nominal bonds increased slightly, from negative 0.03% to positive 0.08% over the last month. This means that the risk premium for unexpected inflation is slightly positive for the first time in a while. On the surface, this would slightly favor nominal treasuries over tips. However, investors who are adverse to the risks of unexpected inflation should still prefer tips over nominal treasuries of the same maturity. The Philadelphia Fed's first quarter five-year inflation forecast is 2.3%. Five-year nominal treasuries now yield 1.09%, which makes the expected return, real return, negative 1.21%, an increase of 0.2 point, uh, 0.21% from last month. The market break-even rate between treasuries and tips is 2.27, which means a negative 0.03% risk premium using the Philadelphia Fed estimate. This means that five-year treasury tips are more attractive than nominal five-year treasuries. I know this is a little complicated and there's a lot of numbers, but we'll try to summarize it. We're almost done with the general okay. As indicated above, the tips curve steepened over the past month. The shorter maturities remained mostly unchanged, while the 10- and 20-year maturity yields increased around 1.5%. 0.15%. Although yield, although <clears throat> real yields remain close to their historic lows, it could make sense to extend to the 10 to 15 year maturities. Currently, by ex- extending from the five year tip to the 10 year tips, there's a 1.06% yield pickup or about 0.21% per year. He likes to look at when you're looking at maturity, uh, taking the differences in the yields for different maturities. Say here we're talking about um, 10 to 15, for example, and then dividing that spread over each year. So that's what he's referring to as 0.21% per year. Mm -hmm. Um, He likes to use, traditionally, I've read his material, that if you're not getting a a certain amount per year, uh, then you would kind of think about, well, maybe it's not worth extending out. Right. Um, Because if it was 0.01%, percent for example one one hundredth would it be worth going out five years to get that on a per year basis maybe not extending another five years gives you around 0.09 percent a year so instead of 0.21 the next five years you only get 0.09 percent 
0.5% per year. And beyond that, around 0.07. For now, to get positive real yields, investors would have to extend to the 2025 maturity. As we mentioned last month, tip yields are, are still well below their historical averages. Therefore, investors disinclined to subject their portfolios to additional price risk might find it more prudent to limit maturities to about 10 years. However, the current 10-year tips is only a 0.125% coupon. A low-coupon bond will generally have greater price risk than one of a similar maturity with a bigger coupon. An alternative to buying the current 10-year tips would be to extend another three years to the 13-year tips. It has a 2.375% coupon and captures an additional 0.3% of real yield. Maturity extension will add to the price risk, but the bigger coupon will help to dampen this volatility, and you pick up the three-tenths of a percent uh, in incremental yield. And so when you're buying bonds, something to be cognizant of, and Larry's referring to it here, all things being equal, a bond that pays out a higher coupon because you're receiving cash flow, um, it has what's referred to as a shorter duration. Duration has some relationship to the average maturity of the bond, but generally when we talk about it and industry people talk about it, they're talking about the volatility expected. So the sooner you get principal back, the, the, right, the quicker that you get that back, the less volatility there is if interest rates move in, in a bad direction. Right. Uh-huh. Righty then. Um because uh, just real quick on that, Ethan, if you have a higher coupon and you're receiving cash, interest rates go up, mm-hmm. you can reinvest that cash at the higher interest rate. But if the return of the bond was built into the, the, the price in which you bought the bond and it's slowly accreting up to the maturity value, yeah, like is there a coupon? you're not receiving as much cash. So in this case, he was saying on the 10 year, you're only getting a coupon of 0.125 instead of, instead of the 2.37. Even though the yield to maturities may be very much closer it reduces the volatility of the bond. Does that make sense? I think so, yeah. On board, Simon? You, you're, yeah, he's on track. He's a machine. Uh, while tips yields don't look attractive relative to historical averages, you can't buy yesterday's yields, Ethan. So right. stop, stop thinking about that. Oh, I was just thinking about that. Only today's. And since our crystal balls are always cloudy, um, I know Ethan's is... Uh, we can't know if the current yield on longer-term tips look will look like good or bad 10 years or more in the future. As always, one last point to remember is that one of the advantages of tips over nominal bonds is that you can take maturity risk with tips and earn the turn premium without taking inflation risk. So while longer-term tips have more interim price risk, which for some investors, could be too much volatility. It's a stomach. There's no risk loss if you hold to maturity. Summarizing, it still seems prudent to limit maturities to about 10 years or so, since absolute yields are well below levels that would make longer-term tips a compelling buy, regardless of the shape of the yield curve. If real rates rise well above the historical averages, you should consider locking in higher yields for as long as possible. Regardless of the shape of the yield curve, higher tip yields would provide the added benefit of allowing you to lower your equity allocation, reducing the risk of the overall portfolio without lowering expected returns. So I think that's interesting as well and worth discussing. Is If you're going to take 
an approach, and this can lead right into our retirement advantage discussion here, and dynamic asset allocation. Um, if you Investors would be well served, in my opinion, Ethan, to take a look at what the market's presenting and take a look at where they are in their life cycle okay. and have an advisor or if they are capable of doing it with themselves, which I believe most people shouldn't be, um, making adjustments based on that rather than what they believe will happen with regard to political instability or economic forecast, um, things that historically have had a very low track record of being able to uh, – a very low probability of you being able to accurately predict. Um, rather, what, what I've seen in the data and the research and the empirical research is that you'd be better served to look at where you're at in the market and take advantage of that by adjusting accordingly than trying to project where the market will be. Yeah, I agree. I mean, clearly making predictions and then correspondingly making investment choices and decisions based on your your forecast uh, or anybody's forecast for that matter um, is, is perilous in my view as well. Yes, perilous would be the word I use. Right. So if you were looking at it for a particular client and suddenly we could get real, lock in a real return um, that is closer and closer to historical equity uh, returns, what Larry is saying, and I would tend to agree, is that that might be a good time to adjust your allocation uh, to tips, for example, particularly if you're in retirement, it's an inflation-adjusted or protected income stream that you're trying to build, um, and you don't necessarily need to eke out every last drop of, of equity return, there might be a good relative trade-off there, and that would be a time. But where most people do make those adjustments, um, <laughs> well, most people, Simon, was just uh, we, get, we get questions flying in here. Um, and, and I want to answer that. Uh, well, most people make those adjustments at the at ultimately the wrong wrong time, Ethan. So if they're buying they're buying fixed income in this last time as as fixed income was at historical low interest rates and selling equities when they were historically cheap. Right. Exactly. Comment on that. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what happens when you go through a period of. Uh, of bad returns like for the, for the stock market like we've been through for the last, say, five years, which most portfolios haven't done well in the last five years, you end up doing what you wish you had done previously. So that means you go out and buy, uh, would be buying more bonds now, but of course bonds now are very, very low yielding across the board. At the same time, it seems that a price uh, returns for stocks probably at some point would, would turn around here, at least based on a historical comparison. Yeah. Hey, we got a question here, Ethan, right, right while we're on the show. Frank asks, is asking what does Swedro mean by interim price risk? And what he means by that, uh, Frank, is that if you buy a bond, particularly a treasury, and you have confidence that the U.S. government's going to make good on that, if you hold it to maturity, if you put $1,000 into the bond, for example, and we're just talking about a nominal treasury bond here, you would expect to get that $1,000 back plus your interest payments along the way. So holding it to the for the entire period of maturity you would have very little price risk or no price risk, right? Because you got your money back that you put in it plus all the interest payments. Right. There's other kinds of risks like reinvestment risk and inflation risk and all those other kinds of things that go along. But in this case, interim risk, what Larry's referring to is, hey, if, if interest rates are bouncing up and down um, between when you buy the bond and its maturity, ultimate maturity at face value, you're going to see the price of that bond move up and down. 
And I see where a lot of people think that CDs, for example, I've met many investors who think, well, my CDs don't fluctuate. When in reality, they do. If you buy a certificate of deposit, even though it's FDIC insured, that's not the risk or that's not what's causing the fluctuation in that CD. It's interest rates moving and also the liquidity of that or the interest in that particular issue. That may change. So when you start to get into things that have credit risk or whatever, you can see. So if you don't think your CDs uh, fluctuate, call and ask for a price. If you're holding brokeraged CDs, they may not be adjusting every day uh, when you when you look at the price. Um, there's a certain methodology I think brokerage firms have to do to price those. But that price, just test, test me on this, Ethan. <laughs> See the price that's printed when you log into your account at, at your custodian. And then call that custodian and say, hey, I want to sell the C- CD. What can I get? What would be the net I could get? I think nine out of ten times you're going to find a different price. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think that there's an illusion there for folks who have CDs at banks who think, "Well, my money's not fluctuating in value at all, even though I may own a five-year own a five-year or ten-year CD." Well, it's just because there's no, it's not in the market. You know, it's not a marketable security where, uh, unless it's like you said, in a brokerage account. So if it's a CD at Bank of America or any local bank, it doesn't change value because there's no there's no trading going on for that particular security. But that doesn't mean the value hasn't changed. So Ken's right. If you go out and there try to sell it at any given period of time, you'll get something different than the full value back, usually, right. based on what interest rates have done since you purchased it. So I think that's a great question. Um, that's the interim price risk that he's talking about, the fact that it, movements in interest rates could, could cause fluctuation. And the longer the maturity is of the bond, it's like being out further on, on the end of a, uh, a leverage um, on a teeter-totter or whatever, the, the longer the maturity, the greater the price movement when we do see fluctuations in interest rates. Yeah, that's exactly right. And uh, also, Frank had a question about the Mega Millions jackpot. Uh, when he, uh, I think it's the same Frank. And if, if, if you are listening, Frank, and you give us your, um, shoot us an email with your, your address or an email where we can contact you, we'd love to give you one of our favorite investment books for uh, submitting these questions during the program. So thanks a lot. And uh, he said, with Mega Millions, Ethan, the jackpot cash payout at a cool, crisp $389.8 million. I got my ticket right here. And, uh, oh, baby. Um, he didn't say cool, crisp, by the way. I just threw that in. But uh, $389 million, Ethan. That's, that's a lot of million dollars. That's a lot of, a lot of money. And the odds of winning uh, one in... One in 175, 711, 536 uh, million. It seems that there would be a positive expected value in buying mega, a Mega Millions ticket at this moment. How much of my retirement funds would you suggest I liquidate <laughs> to buy Mega Millions tickets? Well, I don't think your odds improve much if you buy more than one ticket. So I'd say $1. It's my off the cuff answer. You're going to give them $1? If $1. you just want to be straight, well, it sounds like, is that music I'm hearing? Let's take a break and we'll talk about this because I think this is a, maybe Frank's uh, hammering at a, at a bigger picture question, which is if you have a positive expected return, should you be investing in it? Right. Right. Okay. And we'll talk about that when we come back. Sounds good. Great question, Frank. Thank you. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network 
we spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio, your, your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside uh, Ken Smith. We were just wrapping up a discussion on uh, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, then moving on to a, an actual client question by it was uh, Frank, I think it was his first name, correct? And uh, the last question was actually was two questions. First one we answered, I think, pretty well. And then the second one was relating to the odds of uh, um, buying lotto tickets and increasing your odds to win um, based on the current large jackpot size. And Ken, you had some uh, ideas on that. Well, uh, w- with regard to Frank's, you, I think you answered his question directly, which was $1. Liquidate $1 out of your retirement, pay the tax, I guess, and put it into uh, the uh, mega millions. Right. Um, there, there are some interesting statistics around uh, the lottery, and I, I'll, maybe we can, next show, I'd like to study them a little a little more in depth, and then on the opening of next show, we can we can address this in a more scientific fashion. But one thing to consider is the more the jackpot goes up, um, there may be a tendency for more tickets to be sold. And so, the more tickets are sold, um, the more likelihood that more than one person would win to share the jackpot. So, 
there might, might be some relationship there too, where the, having a larger jack pocket pot in itself doesn't necessarily mean the expected return would go up because if you have um, significantly more people playing, it may just be the same. You see what I'm saying? I think so. But uh, I, I will look into that uh, in, in, in more detail. But on the other side of any bad, even if there's some positive expected return would be that I would be wanted to be worried about was what is the actual odds of success? So because the number can be so high, right, that the probability, um, a very low probability for the dollar that you put in given such a high reward could generate a positive expected return, right? However, we already know that not all players are going to get that return. It's going to be a small number right. of those participating. So the percentage or the odds of, of, of losing are still so great that it wouldn't be a good bet uh, from the perspective of putting your entire retirement investment or any significant uh, position of that. I'll speak to the exact percentages and probabilities so next week because I do think it's really fascinating. And when we talk about investing in the, in the stock and, and bond markets and we talk about structuring diversified portfolios that have positive expected returns, there's a certain function of, of risk that goes along with that. But those odds, the odds of, of you putting your investment into a very diversified strategy, so we could spend an entire show defining what we mean by adequately diversified. Clearly, in our view, it's not one stock. It's right. not one group of stocks in one sector, and it's not one group of stocks in even one economy. Uh, it's several thousand stocks all around the globe combined with very specific types of fixed income, if you're balancing those two. And, and many other different investment asset classes that a person could invest in and systematically rebalancing uh, those to keep them in check, to keep those risk characteristics in line. Uh, if you look at, at those types of portfolios and you say, hey, um, his, given looking at historical odds and probabilities, what are the chances that I will lose all of my investment? It is significantly lower than your chance of losing it in the lottery. <laughs> Indeed. So, no question about that. Without even having to get into all the statistics, right. I can assure you of that. Trust me on that one. Right. Um, that you know that, that particularly as your time horizon, because it's fascinating. I think about the in stock market and the investment world is that uh, part of the volatility or the potential loss that you incur has to do with uh, those odds change given your time horizon. So in very short periods of time, stocks are volatile, frequently have been able to have the probability of them being in a decline from where you bought um, is, is higher than the probability of you having bought stocks 40 years ago and holding them um, for that period of time, a broadly diversified basket of stocks and having a negative return over the 40-year period. Mm -hmm. Those are those are significantly different probabilities. Right. Um, at least, again, looking at historical doesn't mean that black swan type of events don't occur in everything. But um, generally speaking, that's a completely different different bet. Do you have anything to add on that? I think you nailed it. Okay. Well, again, Frank, let me know, and uh, we'd love to send you send you a book. 
yeah, that'd be uh, it'd be nice. First one we we would send out, so that'd be great. That'd be that'd be super duper. Well, Ian, let's talk about this. Uh, we've got a we've got a good ten minutes, I think. I don't I don't know. Um, let's 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 this might this might help Frank because he's asking about retirement. Okay, We're talking about tips for retirement. Um, I wanted to revisit the work that you've been doing on this retirement advantage program. Right. Uh, who who it particularly would affect right now, and uh, which I think is a huge part of the population that needs uh, to take advantage of of what you're trying to address in this program. So why don't you give us an overview? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Basically, I put this this, this sort of program together. Um, we, we we in fact have been doing something very similar uh, for several years now. I mean, I've been working here since 2003, and over that period of time, we've helped people decide how much to do for Roth conversions, help them figure out what types of things for Social Security, and um, talk about asset placement, asset, asset location, and also investment strategies. So these are all kind of things we've been doing uh, over the years anyways. Um, so in that respect, it isn't new for us. It's just something that we've um, sort of put bundled together and, and called, a name, called it, gave it a specific name, uh, which is the Retirement Advantage Program. And we're in the process of building a, a little website just dedicated to this particular approach. And uh, we've already trademarked the name and stuff, so uh, it's uh, we're pretty excited about rolling this out. Um, so but don't for- try to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay. So anyway, uh, it really has to do with people who are, are entering retirement, uh, folks who are maybe a couple of years out, maybe around uh, the retirement age rate, maybe around 60 years old or so. Uh, Although if you're you know 50 or looking toward retirement anytime soon, it, the earlier you you plan the better. So uh, the age may be different, but it's specifically folks approaching or in retirement, the early phases of retirement. And, and why that's significant is because you really have a, a very unique situation uh, in the first early years of retirement. Um, you generally are going to be entering the lowest tax bracket you probably have been in your entire adult life, the first few years of, for first few years of retirement. So let's say you're 60 years old, you've been working your whole life, and uh, you're, you turn 60 on your January 1st, and you decide to retire. And looking at your income picture that particular year, you know, unless you have, um, well, you have no earned, no earned income, right? You're, you're no more W-2 wages to report, and no income tax owed, and those types of things. Um, if you've uh, accumulated some assets outside of an IRA account or outside of a 401k, you, obviously you'll have income from those purpose, from those types of investments and things. But generally, those are much smaller than they would have been prior to retirement during your working years. So you're in a situation where, gee, if I can actually realize some income right now as I'm in a low tax bracket for the first time in how many decades, uh, it might be a good thing to do. You know, if you can, if you can figure out how to how to move money from one account to another, say an IRA to a Roth IRA, for example. Um, it'd be a good time to examine that as a possibility and a long-term tax, a lifetime tax-saving strategy. So part of this is, is figuring out, well, how much money do I have in my tax-deferred 401k or my tax-deferred IRA account at retirement? Um, and do I need that money for income purposes right away in retirement? Right. That's sort of the first question. If you if you do, in other words, you haven't don't have any money outside of your IRA or your 401k at retirement, and you need to draw in the portfolio, then this approach may not work for you. But most folks um, who enter retirement and have amassed anything, anything significant in their tax-deferred accounts probably have amassed some money on the side as well, perhaps in a taxable account, an individual account, or a joint account if you're married, um, and probably would tap that bucket first before drawing on your IRA accounts. And that's kind of the, the specific part of the population that this is really targeted for. You have your income needs covered for a period of years out once you start retirement age. So let's say you retire at 60, you have half a million dollars in, a, in an after-tax account someplace, and maybe you have a million dollars in your, what will be an IRA rollover account. So for the first many years, again, you're not going to tap into the IRA, you'll tap into the, the joint account. 
and pull money from there for your living expenses above and beyond what you might be getting from a pension or uh, what will soon be Social Security in the coming years. So while you're in the low tax bracket, you know, 10 to 15 percent range, it probably would make some sense, in my view anyway, to pull, pull some money out of your IRA. You're going to pay some income tax on it uh, and move that to your IRA, your Roth IRA, I should say. And the precise amount to move depends precisely on your exact situation and your expectations for your tax bracket in the future. So it isn't like there's a one, you know, one answer fits all type of thing. It really does take a personal examination of your, your exact situation and, and trying to estimate not so much future tax rates, but your, your, your tax bracket um, to figure out if it makes sense to do some now or, or not. So that's kind of phase one. Okay. Figuring out um, your – oh, I'm hearing nice music now. So figuring out how much um, – if it makes sense for you to convert anything to a Roth IRA at all. And then sort of the second thing that goes along with that is, is what we call asset placement. You know, as an investor, you have a decision to make as to what type of assets or what types of investments to hold and what type of accounts. And in my view, it makes a lot of sense in this scenario when you're moving money from an IRA to a Roth IRA to, to stack the Roth IRA with the highest expected returning assets you can. So typically that would be equity types of investments or at least more equity relative to things like bonds or cash right? because that growth would be tax-free. Right, right. And you, you'd have years and years of compounding of tax-free growth in that account. And that would be done at the sacrifice of holding uh, equity in your IRA, let's say, for example. So let me give you a clear example. Hopefully I can make this abundantly clear. So let's say you have a you have a million dollars and uh, you have $500,000 in your IRA and $500,000 now in your Roth IRA. Now, if you have a half bond and half stock portfolio, you can choose, right, to hold half stocks, half bonds in your $500,000 IRA or half stocks, half bonds in in your $500,000 Roth. Right? So you have 250 uh, of of bonds and 250 of equity in your IRA and 250 of bonds and 250 of equity in your Roth. IRA. All right. Okay. I'm or magically, you could decide, hey, I'm going to own all my stocks if you wanted to in your Roth IRA. So if the full 500 grand is invested in stocks in the Roth and the full 500 grand in your IRA, your traditional IRA, is simply invested in bonds. Right. I'm with you. So that's what we call asset placement. And again, the reason you might want to do something along those lines is that the tax-free growth opportunity is given the Roth IRA. Okay. And, and first of all, second of all, why is that such a big deal? I'd like to know. Um, as you approach 70 years old, let's say you're 60 now, you have a million dollars in your IRA account. If you're, as you approach 70, and let's say you haven't taken any money out of your IRA right. over the previous decade, um, you're going to have a lot of money, a lot more money in your traditional IRA at 70. Right. right? In fact, at 5% growth, you'll have about $1.6, $1.7 million at 70 in a tax deferred IRA account if you do nothing. Wow. And the required minimum distributions at that age would mean you're going to take some significant distributions that are all going to be taxable, whether you want need or want the money or not. The IRS forces you to take money out of your IRA account at 70 and a half and beyond. And as you, you age, that number, in terms of a percentage of the account, gets larger and larger and larger. In other words, even if your account balance stayed the exact same throughout retirement, the amount you need to pull out due to required minimum distributions goes up every single year. Gotcha. So let's say your RMD is $60,000 uh, at age 70. Well, by age, by age 75... Assuming the balance stays the exact same, it's going to be, you know, maybe it's eighty thousand dollars. By a- and what happens if someone? Uh, I don't mean to interrupt your flow there because you're in a groove. <laughs> but uh, we got about a minute. We might- oh, that's not enough time. Oh. <laughs> it, it won't be enough time. Um, All right. Yeah, I mean we got the, we got the money, money kicking in the back. Um, I was going to ask if somebody were, were to die, 
and uh, leave it to their kids. Like, what the tax ramifications and the, all this? Because uh, that's an additional yeah. level of planning, right? Of getting it out of a taxable status. Because you're you may be still in a reasonably low. I mean, the only income you might receive could be coming out of that IRA at some point. That's tax taxable. But but how does that affect the next generation? Right. Well, if you're you're the people who inherit your estate, assuming it's in a Roth IRA, they they inherit that income tax free as well. Well, so. cool. Listen, I think we're going to run out of time here, so I, I'd like to hear uh, about this and many other issues, Ethan, that you're involved in with this. We'll have to do it next week, oh, so all right. we can talk to uh, get back to Frank. I love talking about those. Let's um, do it. Yeah, on that, on those statistics. Uh, I, d- I did buy one ticket myself with those Mega Millions. Uh, I bought one ticket myself. And uh, maybe we'll see if we win. And uh, if you hear us on the program next week, it's probably because we didn't. Um, (laughs) (laughs) We'll be on Olympia catching that check, probably. Yeah, be catching that. So thank you very much for tuning in to Empirical Investing Radio, and uh, we'll be back next week. Take care. Thank you. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week.